guys be seated. Good afternoon. We're going to be in Isaiah. Well, I mean, is it a good afternoon? Let's just cover that first. We doing all right? Okay. Okay. Just making sure. No, I'm glad to see you all here. Um, we will be in Isaiah 55 in just a moment. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we put Bibles under the seats around you. And as always, if you don't own a Bible, we want you to have a copy of God's Word. So that's our free gift to you. Feel free to take that home. Uh, we are landing the sermon series from the summer today. This is the last Sunday in the sermon series, Even Sinners Such As I. I'm um, excited about uh, where we're going next. Starting uh, next Sunday, we'll be starting a new sermon series entitled Everyday Gospel. And uh, this will be a sermon series where we look at how the gospel that Jesus died for sinners and resurrected from the grave to forgive us of sins and give us eternal life, how that practically applies to everyday life. How does that impact my role as a husband? How does that impact my role as a mom? How does that impact my role as a coworker or as a friend or as a church member? We're going to look at how the gospel applies to every arena of life as we look at this everyday gospel. And so uh, a couple things before we get started this morning. First of all, just a quick report on how things are going uh, in the overall picture of the Solid Rock story. We're excited. If you were with us last week, you know we're getting ready to send the Rathbuns back to the Philippines. Uh, and with them, our first ever international um, intern is going back. Sarah Schutze will be traveling with our missionary family to get back to the work there in the Philippines. And uh, we're excited about that. They leave Tuesday, right? Tuesday. Um, in addition to that, um, just a lot of great things happening around the church. Um, about a year and a half ago, we set out on a journey together as a church to, uh, to follow God's calling to expand and create more space for him to do more work and more lives. We call this journey the all-in journey because we believe that God is calling us all in every arena of life. Um, that whatever he asks of us, we would say yes and we would follow. And, and I'm excited because if you guys were a part of the original few months of that journey... Um, one of the things we did is we prayed over this journey uh, from Ephesians 3 as the Apostle Paul prayed over the church in Ephesus. Now, to him who is able to do far more than we could ever ask for or imagine, and we, and we submitted that prayer to God, and he has done far more than we ever could have asked for or expected or imagined so far on this journey together. Um, we are seeing uh, some amazing things happening around uh, the Solid Rock campus in terms of just lives being impacted by the gospel, marriages being healed, and brokenness being restored, and, um, and, and just like our attendance has just been huge. Like we've had um, over five Sundays this year at over 400 people, which in a little box like this, that's a lot of people cramming into a little bit of space, um, and that's exciting. And on top of that, um, the month of August has been our biggest attendance month ever as a church. Now, it's August, it's still summertime. Like you expect that in January, you expect that in September, October, uh, but in the church world, you expect the summer months to be slow. And, and not only has this been our biggest attended month ever, um, it's been our biggest giving month of the year, again, which is not normal in church world. And so all of that is just testimony to the goodness of God and his ability to do far more than we could have ever asked for or imagined. Now I'm thinking about you know the future and we have, our plan is to have um, our down payment for the new building um, by this late this fall, early winter, and it looks like we're well on our way to having that. And now I'm thinking, you know, we had originally said, you know, hey, 25% down payment is what our goal is. And I, and I just want to lay it before you. What if God wants to do more? Like at this point, right, we are continuing to submit this journey to him and say, God, you do uh, whatever you desire to do and do far more than we could ever ask for, expect, or imagine 
unto him who is able to do this. We give him the glory for all of that amazing work. Now, I wanted to give you that report because, you know, if you, if you have a chance to, to see all that data behind the scenes, we're excited about that. Um, but I also want to bring your attention to uh, one of the teams um, through which God works here in our church that you may not even be aware of. So, so you, you see a lot of things happening. You see men's ministry, women's ministry, which by the way, we had over 50 men at our men's ministry kickoff. Uh, ladies Friday night had over 90 um, at the women's ministry kickoff. The parking lot was full and all of that is launching into our fall semester of community groups, men's ministry and women's ministry. And so just so many areas, things are just happening. But the team that most often goes completely unrecognized is our operations team. And so I wanted to just bring um, them to your attention, introduce you to our operations team so you know who they are. Um, These eight servants are the ones who handle all communication, um, all finances, all of the administration and ordering. And, And here's how I like to think about this team. So the church is a living organism, right? And so we're like a vine that grows. But a vine that has nothing to grow on really is just a bush, right? Just grows in on itself. But in order for a vine to be healthy and to become what it's supposed to be, it's got to have a trellis of some kind. And so this team really is the trellis of the church. They, they lay out things in a structured way, keep guys like me on track and within the boundaries so that the vine can grow. And I'm so thankful for this team. Now, two reasons why I wanted to bring them to your attention. One, if you're like me and you hear about an administration team, six of them are volunteers who just show up and work every week just like they would get paid at a job, but they don't. And I, I, think, I hear that and I go, well, that's crazy. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to like, why not be involved in like teaching and singing and all these upfront jobs? Who would, who in their right mind would volunteer to do admin? And yet in the Bible, one of the spiritual gifts mentioned is the gift of administration, right? And so there are those who God has gifted and called who are passionate about administration. And so for those of us who aren't, first of all, let's be more appreciative. If you see any of these folks running around, would you just give them a big hug and just tell them, they, they rarely get gratitude and a thank you. Just give them a hug, say, hey, thank you for all that you do behind the scenes. Second of all, if you're weird and that's you and you're called and gifted to do that kind of stuff, you're just weird. It's okay though. I'm weird too in different ways. Um, I wanted you to be aware that there are opportunities to serve. They're actually looking uh, for a few more folks to step into this role Um, looking for somebody to work with a website, uploading videos and podcasts and keeping all that stuff up to date. Um, Some more help with photography and with video, video editing. And then this other role, a data guru. I don't know what that is, but if that's you, you probably do. Um, I'm assuming it has something to do with data, maybe putting it into something and getting it out. I don't know. Uh, But if you're interested in serving in any capacity in operations, Uh, You can communicate our our operations team. Uh, The head is right here in the middle. Uh, Jordan's our head of operations. You can email her or catch her in person. She's live and in person in the back of the room right now. And just let her know, hey, I'm kind of one of those weird people that likes to do administration. How can I fit in? And I'm sure she can help get you connected. So I wanted to bring that to your attention. Uh, One, so that we can be grateful for those who work so hard behind the scenes and rarely get credit for it. But two, maybe God's calling you to step into that capacity. All right. So we are ready to get started in Isaiah 55, and today we're going to be wrapping up our sermon series entitled, Even Sinners Such as I. Now, if you're just stepping into this today, you're good. Um, the, the heartbeat behind this sermon series came out of 1 Timothy chapter 1, 
where the Apostle Paul, this high-profile church leader of the first century, is writing a letter to a young pastor, and he says something that kind of catches us off guard in the opening of his letter in chapter 1. Here's what he says. He says to young Timothy, he says, The saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance, or deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, if we stop there, we go, I, make, I expect Paul to say that. right? That's what the Bible's about. Jesus comes to earth to save sinners, but look at what he says. Of whom I am the foremost. Now, that's not what we expect a high-profile church leader, one of the primary human authors involved in the New Testament, to say, I'm the worst one. And then he goes on to say, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. A couple of things I want to say, kind of wrapping up our sermon series here. So if you haven't been here, we've been working through the gospel together and, and what it means that God meets us in our most desperate moments of sin, our most def- desperate moments of rebellion and brokenness and suffering. And in each sermon, you've had an opportunity to hear a testimony from one of our staff members or one of our elders. Now, the reason we're doing that is because we truly believe that God is calling Solid Rock Church to be a place of authenticity, a place where the gospel is real, where when we say Jesus came to save sinners, even sinners like me, right, we're honest about the me, that there's no pretense or no sense that I need to walk in these doors and put up a facade and act like I have it together. Some of us, many of us, maybe even have played that church game far too long. And we know that it doesn't give life. It doesn't give hope. If anything, right, it just causes us to be more and more desperate when we pretend to be something we're not, and then we try to keep that facade going. Right? Jesus said in Matthew 9, it's, it's not the, the healthy that need a physician, it's the sick. Those are the sinners whom I came to save. And so what we've hopefully this summer witnessed together is that the church, those who lead this church, the staff members, the elders, even like Paul would say, Jesus came to the world to save sinners. And oh, I'm included in that. I am not above that. I think about what David confessed in Psalm 51, verse 3, when he's, he's broken there in repentance after his, his good friend called him out uh, for his um, adultery with Bathsheba, and then he murdered her husband to cover it up, and then his buddy calls him out, and then he breaks in repentance, and he says what? I know my sin, and my sin is always before me. You see, what Paul's point is this. Jesus came to the world to save sinners, And I'm the worst, and here's how I know that, because I know me better than anybody else does. Therefore, I know my own sin. I know the the, the broken part of me that I try to hide and cover up and dress up and put makeup on so that you don't know just how broken and how desperate I am on the inside. I know my sin, and my sin is always before me. And we believe that here at Salt Rock Church, that Jesus came to save the sick sinners, those who are broken, those who are desperate in need. And so this morning in Psalm, excuse me, in Isaiah 55, we're gonna be looking at what it means to be truly satisfied in Jesus. And as we do that, I wanna stop for a moment and just give a little bit of definition to the word satisfied. Because I think in our culture today, we get 
kind of an ambiguous idea about what that means. So I think we could mean one of two things when we say satisfied. I'll give you two other words I think that might be helpful. One is pacified. When we say that I'm satisfied, it's just the idea of being pacified. Okay, I'm satisfied with that. Maybe you're negotiating something and you finally compromise and it's not what you wanted or thought you needed or deserved, but you say, okay, I'm satisfied with that. Now that's an idea of being pacified, right? Just momentarily, I'm okay with it. Right, but when the Bible talks about satisfaction, we're not talking about being pacified. We're talking about being delighted. We're talking about something that's not momentary, right? Not just status quo or right, some kind of a compromise. What we're talking about is delighted. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 55, starting in verses 1 through 3. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Now there are two somewhat ironies or paradox in this passage that are just kind of leaping off of the page. The first one is this, and this is what God is speaking through Isaiah to his people. Why do you spend your money and your labor on things that do not satisfy? Now, when we hear that question, as the church, and we think about a world that doesn't know Christ, that makes sense. We immediately go, yeah, that's who God is talking to, but the problem is that in this passage, God is speaking to his people. It's not just the lost world that is prone to or tempted to right, be satisfied with pacification. Right? Even God's people are prone to wander and prone to be too, far too easily satisfied or pacified and completely miss out on the delight of knowing Jesus. And so if anything is the church, our ears need to be more open than the world that doesn't know Christ. Now, the question is, why do you Spend all that you have on chasing after things that have already proven to you that they'll never satisfy. Now, his antidote for this is what? Listen. Now, this word listen, just to kind of help you out here, parents, you can relate to this. It's the idea of like when you're, when you're talking to your kiddo and you ask them, are you listening to me? What you don't mean is, am I talking loud enough that you can audibly hear me? right? I'm, we're past that. I'm convinced you're 36 inches away. I know you can hear me. That's not the question. The question is what? Are you paying attention listening to me? Matter of fact, he goes a step further and he says, incline your ear. Now that's this beautiful kind of picture of leaning in or stretching out to hear. So it's the idea of don't just stand there and listen to me. Come closer. And so here's what God is speaking through Isaiah to us as people. Why do you spend all your effort on these things that don't satisfy? Here's the solution for that. Listen. Lean in. Incline your ear to hear what I have to say. Now, 
I'll just be transparent with you guys on, on a certain level. For me, the, the litmus test um, for where I'm pursuing satisfaction on a daily basis has to do with how I spend my mornings, okay? And, and I, I know pretty quickly what I'm inclining my ear to by the first thing I go to after I wake up. Okay, so I know, I know the church answer. I should pray before my feet hit the floor, and that's only on my way over to grab my Bible and read it. Now, some mornings, that's my inclination, okay? But most often, I have to think in, through that and choose to do that and wrestle with what my flesh wants to do and then do that, right? So whatever my ears are inclined to lean into early on kind of sets your trajectory for my day and also where I'm gonna go for my satisfaction. So, right, for example, for me, I have to battle with not going to some news feed or a podcast or a Twitter feed or an Insta feed or a Facebook feed. Now, those things aren't sinful things, but if that's the first voice I want to listen to, right, it says something about where I'm going to for satisfaction. And see, the call here is to come and lean into, listen, that you might be satisfied, not pacified but satisfied. Now, I think in your own life, you can probably think through a good way to figure out your own litmus test is look for the areas in life where you're the least satisfied. Maybe it's when you pull into your home at the end of the day and you're not satisfied with where you live. Right, so what does that say? That potentially, you're looking for satisfaction in a new home or a new neighborhood. Maybe it's, not, maybe it's the car that you drive. I was thinking about this this morning. I've been driving legally, for 26 years. I have owned, in my name, 14 vehicles. Do the math. That's over one car every two years. I know, it's ridiculous, huh? But the car I'm in now, at least I've had it for like the last seven years, and it's paid off now, because remember, we buy every car saying that. I'm gonna drive this car till the wheels fall off and pay it, but we never do. So finally, after, at the age of 40, I'm finally at a place where I've accomplished that. Why? And I look back over all those decisions, and looking for satisfaction in the next new car, the next new shiny thing. And let's be honest, if we look for satisfaction in something like that, by the time the third payment hits, we're bored with it. And it no longer satisfies. Why? Because we were just being pacified. And maybe it's not a new car or a new house. Maybe it's a relationship or maybe it's this job. And you're like, as soon as I get this position, I'll be satisfied. This new salary benchmark, this new achievement, this accolade. And the question coming from Isaiah 55 to you and to me this morning is why are you spending all of your energy, your money, your time, your resources on things that will never satisfy? Oh, they may pacify you for a moment, but they don't satisfy. And here comes to us this invitation. Listen and incline your ear. Now, what are we listening for? What is the message that we can hear that we can lean into that will actually bring satisfaction. Now, I love about Isaiah 55 is one of our tendencies when we read the Old Testament is we look at it as historical and applicable to the people of that time, and then somehow we convince ourselves that maybe it's not relevant to our life today. Matter of fact, there is, I just read about this this week, there's actually a formal movement within evangelicalism to begin to separate the New Testament from the Old Testament. Well-known pastors and speakers are trying to convince their churches to 
quote, and I won't give a name, unhitched the Old Testament from the New Testament. And the problem with that is, first of all, the Old Testament's what creates this amazing portrait of this Messiah that we're looking for. We know fully who Jesus is because of the way the Old Testament sets us up and prepares us for Jesus to become incarnate and step into our world. But then the New Testament is full of Old Testament quotes, and so you can't do that. Right? Because ultimately it is all God's word, one meta-narrative, one primary author, which is God himself. And what I love about Isaiah 55 is this isn't the only time these verses show up in the Bible. You know that this actually is quoted in Revelation. John, the last living apostle, has been tortured and then he's been exiled on Patmos. He's met there by Jesus and he gives him this revelation to write down and one of the things that John writes down is this quote of Isaiah 55. This isn't just a relevant moment in the life of Israel way back when Isaiah was around but this is God speaking to his people even today. Now listen, here's the the invitation. This is the second paradox or irony if you will. Listen, come everyone who thirsts come to the waters. So far so good. Right? So that's a metaphor, meaning if you're spiritually thirsty, you're spiritually not satisfied, everybody who meets that criteria, you're invited to come. And, and not only if you're thirsty, but who? He who has no money. If you stop there, you go, okay, well, that's God saying, okay, if you don't have any money, I'll help you out. But look at what he says. He who has no money, come and buy and eat. Now, I don't know how logic works in your mind, but that doesn't work in my mind. How can I buy without money? And this is the good news of the gospel. God is saying, come and purchase what you can't afford. It's free. And here's the thing. It's better than what you're spending your money and your time on. This is the good news of the gospel. Why are you spending your life on things that don't satisfy when there is an invitation on the table, anyone who is thirsty and unsatisfied with pacification, with earthly things, come and drink. And listen, what you're gonna get from God is so good you can't afford it. It's better than what you can afford and come anyway. How do I buy something that I can't afford? And this brings us to the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. I want to I bring something up right now that personally when I was younger in my, in my, in my faith and in my journey with Christ, I, didn't, I, could, I had a hard time reconciling. On one hand, I read these beautiful gospel passages about the grace of Jesus being free. It's the free gift of God. Right? It's not our own doing, it's by faith. And the gospel is free. But then on the other hand, Jesus says, that, well, if anybody's gonna come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. And so it sounds like it's gonna cost me my life. Which one is it? Is it free or does this cost me my life? Now think about that. Jesus taught a very helpful parable in Matthew 13 when he says the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man finds it, What does he do? He covers it back up. He goes home and sells everything he has to come and buy the field. This is the gospel. It is free. But what you find in the free gift of Jesus' grace in your life is so delightful. Hear me on this, church. It's so satisfying and delightful that you will then be compelled and want to go home and sell out everything, even your own life, to attain it. Now think about it. It is free, and yet it is so good, so life-giving, 
so full of hope and delight that once you taste it, you'll say, I'm ready to forsake everything else that I might have this and this alone. You follow me? I want to give you a chance to hear from one of our elders. Um, Billy Warren's going to share a little bit of his story today and his journey with Christ and how for a period of time, even as a Christian, he sought pacification and other things. But what he's learned in the end is that Jesus and Jesus alone satisfies. If you guys are ready, let's, let's roll Billy's video. Hi, my name is Billy Warren, and this is my wife, Joe. I've been an elder here for 30-plus years, and we would just like to tell you a little bit of our story this morning. When I was in second grade, my best friend invited me to go to church. I'd never gone to church before, but he told me there was Kool-Aid and cookies every Sunday, and being from a poor family, that was pretty great to me. And one Sunday when I was listening to the pastor talk about how Jesus died on the cross, uh, for my sins, I went to, I was convicted and went to the front and prayed a prayer and asked Jesus into my heart. There wasn't a major change in my life at this point. Uh, I was young, but as I moved into high school, um, God spoke to me and told me what a Christian was supposed to look like. And my pastor mentored me and I was totally sold out to this Christian lifestyle. I became a youth leader. I became, uh, I was able to speak at youth revivals. And um, God just used me in, in a mighty way. I was an athlete uh, at, in my high school and had an opportunity to share the gospel with several of my friends there. But my best friend, who I had shared the gospel with many times, on our graduation night asked me, uh, to go to a party with he and some of our friends. And at that party, there were drugs and alcohol. And these were things that I uh, avoided throughout my high school career. And uh, this was the first place that Satan was able to get a foothold into my life. Uh, I was blessed to get lots of letters to attend colleges to play football. Uh, but I chose to go to the East Texas Baptist College on a ministerial scholarship and play baseball there because they didn't have a football team. And as I was playing baseball with the baseball players, with the team, um, they were into drugs and alcohol and partying, and I chose that lifestyle above the lifestyle of being in ministry. And I dropped out of college after my first year and returned home and married the love of my life. And we bought a motorcycle and matching helmets and lived a selfish life by playing softball tournaments every weekend. And I was into drinking and partying at that time, and Joe was not. And uh, after a year, she had thoughts about leaving the marriage because of my verbal abuse and uh, my alcohol and trying to satisfy my selfish desires. And uh, one day, uh, after a dove hunt, I was traveling south toward Burleson on my motorcycle, and I was sober this time. And uh, ironically, I, was, I broadsided a, a car of a drunk driver that pulled out in front of me and went sailing across his vehicle and traveled about 150 feet on the pavement, was stopped by a highway po uh, post, and it knocked out four of my teeth, almost severed two of my fingers. I had several broken ribs and lots of injuries, was in a coma. And um, 
the, the, the thing about this is when I came out of the coma and came home, I couldn't work for a year. And uh, Joe had the responsibility of supporting us and taking care of me. And you would have thought that this would have gotten my attention to turn back to Christ at this point. But I did not because I enjoyed uh, partying and drinking and all that. And I, I just got a lot of satisfaction out of that. And so I started my own business and went back to school and got my teaching degree because in my heart, even though I was involved in alcohol, I wanted to help students that came from a background of alcoholism or some other substance abuse. And so that's why I got my teaching degree. And we had two lovely children. Uh, I was teaching at Pascal High School, living in a home right here off of Chapel Creek while we were building the home. Uh, that we live in now. And I had uh, another accident. At this time, uh, I was overcome by carbon monoxide poisoning. And while I was in the hospital, the doctors came to Joe and told her that um, it was a miracle that I was even alive because of all the carbon monoxide poisoning in my body. And that got my attention, and I prayed for God to relieve my uh, desire for alcohol and to satisfy my selfish desires and to start me on a journey back with a relationship with Him. Well, you know, after I turned my life over to God, uh, it's just been amazing. He has continually walked with me on a daily, regular basis. He has built a prayer life and a Bible study in my life that I just go through every day. You know, I, I just, I, I really have a difficult time starting my day if I don't get to pray if I don't get to read my Bible. And plus, I try to be disciplined in sharing the gospel in any opportunity that I'm given, you know, uh, because we live in a world that needs the hope of Jesus Christ. And uh, on top of that, Joe and I began to pray every day, and uh, it just blesses our heart. It's our day a great start, and, uh, and we're very thankful for that. My, my favorite scripture is uh, Hebrews 4, 14 through uh, 16, and I would like to read that for you. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. It's through this scripture that I realized that God loves sinners such as I and would help me through anything that I was struggling with. I uh, did my own thing for several years uh, through chasing my uh, selfish desires with drinking and partying, and I almost lost everything. I almost lost my wife, my kids, my home, and uh, my life even. But God was gracious enough to give me another opportunity to build a relationship with Him, and I am so thankful for that. And in, this, in my return to my relationship with God, God blessed me in a mighty way. He showed me an opportunity to be a part of a football program that has experienced much success. You know, and I, all my dreams came true. I was so happy, so joyful. But in all of that, none of that matters. Uh, it couldn't amount to the joy that I have 
in the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I'm so thankful, uh, not only for Billy, but you know all the staff and elders who shared the stories with us this summer, and it makes me incredibly thankful to be a part of this church and to serve alongside elders who walk in that level of transparency. And also reminds me of the Apostle Paul, uh, the one who said, Jesus came to the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost. And I think about um, his testimony that he shared uh, with the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3, where he lists out all his accomplishments as we looked at Billy's bling there at the very end, all the state championship rings and, and you know, all these things that we think will bring us satisfaction and joy, but in the end we realize that they don't. The Apostle Paul mentions all of his accolades, all of his state championships, and then he says in Philippians 3, 7, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Now, let me just ask you a question. This is rhetorical for you to think about your own life and your own journey. Are you right now truly satisfied? Not pacified, but satisfied. Are you satisfied? Do you find your delight in Jesus and him alone? Or are you maybe in that place like Billy where you're looking for satisfaction in something else and all you're finding is momentary pacification? Something that's here today and gone tomorrow, something that meant something to you today but becomes rubbish the next. Are you satisfied? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you've not taken that step of faith to trust in Jesus and him alone, that the work he did on the cross and the resurrection from the grave is enough for your forgiveness of sins and for your eternal life. I'm gonna encourage you, I'm gonna pray for you, I'm gonna beg you to make that decision today, to take a step of faith towards Jesus, to trust in him and him alone. In a moment, while I'm praying, I'm gonna invite our worship team back up, and I'm gonna ask our prayer partners to be available. They'll be at the front of the room, they'll be at the back of the room, And if that's you and you've never taken that step of faith to become a Christian, trust in Christ, I'm gonna encourage you to make that decision today before you leave. For the rest of us who have already made that decision, the question is still the same. I know you're a Christian, but are you satisfied? Or are you still prone to look for satisfaction in things that are less than Jesus? And if that's you, maybe like me, Maybe today is going to be a day of just being honest about those things and laying those things down, right? Laying down pacification for true delight in Jesus and him alone. The invitation is the same. Come, come to the water, all who are thirsty. Come and buy what you can't afford, but it's good. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this very powerful reminder from your word this morning. God, thank you for speaking to us God, through your word. And now, Father, we're at a place in our service where, God, it's time for us to respond to what we've heard. And I pray, God, now for any person here who does not truly know you personally as Savior, as Lord, as ultimate, that, God, today you would give the faith 
the courage for that person to take that step of faith and trust in Christ. God, for those of us who know you, God, I pray that we would be honest about our journey right now. We'd be honest about the things going on in our life and we would take a moment to inventory our satisfaction and even our dissatisfaction that we might come to that place of honesty today, God, and just confess anything, God, that has taken the place of Jesus in our hearts. Father, today we gather to delight in Jesus and him alone. We ask that you would move through this room as we respond. We pray this in Jesus' name.